Welcome to the CLS Experience. I'm your host, Craig Siegel. I'm a born and raised New Yorker who achieved success with multiple businesses, but I crave something deeper. So I dedicated myself to personal growth and transformation by revamping my mindset. I went from being unable to run a mile to conquering four marathons the following year. Now, I want to help others manufacture big breakthroughs of their own. Because what people don't understand is if you're stuck, if you want to think outside the box, you got to get out of the box. What's the box? The house. What's the box? The car. What's the box? The phone. The computer. Get outdoors. And once you start moving, you get that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, the natural dose, which then opens up the right side of your brain. Because you're, if you're in the left side, right, you're analytical. You can't be creative and analytical. You've got to be creative, then go back to analyze, right? So the trick is, is if you start moving and get into flow, and it's been written about forever, great, anyone that's great gets into flow. You can't get into flow just sitting on the couch. Movement creates flow. On today's episode of the CLS Experience, we have a very special treat. He's a television personality, coach, author, interventionist, badass entrepreneur, and my personal favorite, a half marathon world record holder. My dear friend and just an overall juggernaut and a phenomenal human being consisting of 15 years strong of sobriety. He is Mike Diamond. How you doing, Mike? How you doing, Mike? I'm good. You did it. You know what I love about that? You could have introduced yourself like it was a wrestler and then just come out and go, How was that for an intro? It was awesome. Thank you. How are you, buddy? We're going to have a ton of fun today. And like I was saying before we hit record, you know, I know that you've done these in the past. And what's different about this show and how I separate myself is we're going to get deep. We're going to have fun. We're going to make it different. And because of our relationship, which is relatively still new, but it's special, you have my word. We will manufacture magic here today like usual. I like that. Absolutely. We're going to get a little weird. We're going to jump all over the place. And of course, I want to start at the beginning and hear about the journey and so forth, Mike. But I'm going to come out straight and ask you a question today. Simply put, what is your superpower, Mike? Memory. I have a thing. I'm dyslexic, and I didn't realize I had this. I, I was undiagnosed for years, and I, I can't procedural learn. So what that means is you could sit down with a math problem and learn a formula. I can't learn like that. I'm all right brain and very, very limited left brain. So as a kid, I didn't realize I have incredible episodic memory. So if I meet you once, I take in all those modalities and sensories and it literally is photographic and I can go back and meet you again and go, oh, I met you on this corner in New York City at this time, blah, 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 blah. I didn't know this because I went to acting school. So I could, but I didn't know I was was undiagnosed dyslexic, but I could literally watch someone do something or I could watch someone perform a song and go home and remember the whole thing or watch a movie start to finish and literally remember the whole movie and, and the dialogue. It's impressive. And it's, yeah, but it was only because of the dyslexia. So I read a book called The Dyslexic Advantage and they said some people have this superpower and it's an episodic memory where they can literally remember the time, the place, the codes to a point. I got interviewed by this girl the other day and I said, oh, I met you at my bar called Snitch. She's like, oh, my God. Snitch. Yeah, I used to go in there. I said, yeah, I used to write for a magazine. She goes, I don't even remember you. I said, I used to own the bus. She goes, oh, my God, Mike Diamond. I actually remembered <laughs> meeting her. And, and the crazy thing was even when I used to use, I could still remember everything. That's impressive. So my memory is really, like, freaky. Yeah, and also just to touch upon what you just said, like when you used to use, you still remember everything because, of course, for me, preparation breeds confidence, so I do a lot of homework. And I was listening to an interview that you had recently, and you said like you would still wake up on time, get to work on time, eat normal, and all these things while you're using. And, you know, that's pretty impressive, Mike. It was ingrained from a young kid. So this is the problem in Australia and, like, England and that. Drinking and not drug use, but drinking. Let me just do this. Sorry. Drinking is just a common thing. People drink. So when you were young and you're playing a sport like rugby, you go to the bar really young and there's no, you know, 
no ID, just walk in, you start drinking like a man. That's dangerous. So it's work hard, play hard. Yeah. So then you get to a city like New York. Oh, and I was sober it. from exactly powered and cocaine is a power thing. It's not like, not like, you know, you're trying to dope out. You, you, you just want to be jacked up and be successful. And you're around these savages that are working just as hard as you. So it's like, if you're going to, if you're going to work hard, you better play hard. If you're going to play hard, you better work hard. Yeah. Especially in Manhattan when it's eat what you kill. If, if you take a day <laughs> off, someone's going to pass you by. <laughs> so true you eat what you kill you know i love that it's true it's true man it's so true yeah, yeah. and it's and that's and we and then you know if you know what i love about manhattan um, tell me especially back in the day it you can't bullshit new york no you can drive around california and tell people you're a producer and live in the summer you can go to miami and tell people you're doing a bunch of stuff because it's not that expensive if you're in manhattan and you're in the belly of the beast you're going to see that person on the street because no one really drives and if you're <laughs> full of crap they'll call you out it's so true you, you can't flake new york that's why i love new york it's the greatest yeah, city in the world absolutely and that also coincides with something that you and i spoke about on the phone not too long ago we were talking about and this is kind of off topic but similar to how like new york like you can sniff out the like the fluff. Also, like this saturated space now, like online, like coaches oh. and stuff like that. It's saturated, but then again, guys like you, like me, you can sniff out who's being an imposter right away. <laughs> yeah, and and I think like, look, you're a marathon guy. You run. You coach. You do real things. Like you can look. How's this? I look at it like this. Even if I just met you. And you were telling me you were doing something. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to work with this guy. And I'll tell you why. I always say to this person, does the guy's T-shirt say UFC and his body says KFC? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? If I look at you, I know you're doing something right. You look good. You're in shape. You run marathons. You show up. You fight, you, you're on. You're on point. Appreciate so this, that. Like. But it's true. This, so there's something you are doing that has to be right. You're not 630 pounds. No offense if you're overweight. Telling me you're going to put me on a diet. I'll be like, what are you talking about? Yes. It's so so there's a congruency there. By when I see you, you look in my eyes. That's a New York thing. I know you, I've met you in person, but I know, I bet you got a gun handshake. Oh, forget about it. But you see, there you go. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so straight away, I, I'm like, this is my, this is my tribe. If I I'm going to that. battle, if I'm going to battle, look, tomorrow if I got called on a speaking gig, I'd be like, oh, I'll put Craig on the panel with me. It wouldn't be like, because I just know those people that have that. And that's just something that you push out. So, yeah, that's why we click straight away. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm going to go ahead and receive that. And I appreciate that. And same thing with you. Like, I'm very calculated and deliberate with everyone that I collaborate with since I started CLS. But something about you stuck out to me right away. And I have a very good sense of character. And we'll get into that a little bit later on the show when it comes to like NLP and like tuning in and, and building a rapport. And I just, I appreciate you so much, Mike. I'm excited to dive in. Before, before we start at the beginning, I'm going to ask you one last weird question that I think is a great one. When did you really become Mike 2.0? 2017. After my stomach surgery. So, so not my, when you got sober. To, sober, I was there, but I wasn't 2.0. Like I was, I, was, I, was, I was always like, look, from a young kid, I was always on. Like I was a champion athlete as a kid like I played rugby football like I did it all but when you talk about 2.0 that next level it wasn't till I had to face a near death experience because I don't think you find yourself unless you truly face adversity you can't win it all until you've lost it all yeah do you know what I mean like anyone that anyone that's given it I'm like great they'll lose it because they didn't earn it and you know that from running marathons, from what you've done on Wall Street, you can't, no one can give you that. They can give you a blueprint, but you have to surrender and, and be in love with the process. And in 2017, when I nearly died, when my appendix burst and I lost eight inches off my intestines, that comeback and then to break the world record running half marathons a year later after I'd never run a half marathon, that's when everything, I was just like, I'm going to show people that anything is possible if you put your mind to it. 
Yeah. And Mike, so many things I want to touch on in regards to that. You're such a bad dude in the best way possible. And I know that you have ulcerative colitis and that actually runs in my family. Believe it or not, I've never actually said this out loud publicly, but I love to have a first with you. I have Crohn's disease. And, <gasps> yeah. And wow. my, my, my brother and my mom have it as well. And thank God, mine's been in check for years. Not too many flare-ups, if you will. But I've been there when it does flare up and it is not fun. And I know the story that you had with the impedix. At first, you thought it might just be related to that. And a guy like you can take pain. So when did you realize that, holy shit, this is not that. This is something a little bit more dangerous. Day three. What happened was we went out. For, um, I went and did some pull-ups. It was my birthday. My stomach was sore. My wife came home and said, oh, we're having a baby boy. I'm like, what? How cool. I knew she was pregnant. And we went out for dinner that night. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm in trouble because you know what happened? You talked about flare-ups. I was sitting on the couch because I didn't want to wake her. And I went to the bathroom and I wasn't flaring. I, was, I, I pooed solid and I was like, oh, no. It's either my appendix or my gallbladder. And I said, get me to, she came down the stairs, it was five in the morning, so she said, get me to the ER. She raised me to the ER and I said, give me a CT scan. They're like, why? I said, it's either my gallbladder or my appendix burst. Ladies, like, that's impossible. You're too calm. I'm like, I'm in pain. They gave me the CT scan. The guy said, you've been in septic shock for three days. I was literally dying for three days. That's crazy. And also yeah, was, the fact that, that you're like so intelligent and self-aware to realize like, I went to the bathroom. This is what the deal is. It has to be this or that. Like, it has to be because it was beyond, you know, with Crohn's and colitis, there's a, the flare is chronic. Yeah. But it's different. You know, you're pooing. But when you look, you go, I should be pooing like and, and flaring and I'm not. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that means something internally has exploded. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's not fun. No, it was really, it was agonizing. So, so then correct me if I'm wrong. The doctor came. He did not have great bedside manner. 50 50. 50 50. 50. That's he said, nice. I'm taking out your colon. I said, no, you're not. I said, the only way you take it out is if you, you can't save me. Three and a half hours to four hours surgery. I woke up with infections on my body, lost. They took out eight inches of my intestines. I lost. I was in the hospital for like eight or nine days. I lost 50 pounds. Emaciated. I left the hospital with a, two tubes in my stomach and like two hand grenades draining the pus and the infections. That's crazy. He tried to put me on all these drugs. I'm sober 15 years. I said, no, I took the required opiates, which wasn't a lot, like a few narco. And um, he's like, you'll never recover. You have to take your colon. You'd be dead of cancer in six six weeks. You've got no colon. It's rotted. And I, I, I immersed myself in you know, NLP. I immersed myself in Joe Dispenza. I love Joe Dispenza. Wow. So, so you started NLP after this incident? Yeah, I did it before, but I didn't do it the way I, I needed to do it on this. Like I did it, I was doing bits of NLP in the sense of I was always a school a, a guy of mindfulness, been doing mindfulness for years. And I studied NLP, but it wasn't like, like I was doing it for more mirror and matching and, you know, work stuff. But I, I went into me and I was like, I have to really reprogram all my sub-modalities, my brain, my body, the mind-body connection. So I took what, what, what I'd studied, but I was like, I'm going to now put it with quantum physics and Joe Dispenza, and I want to marry the two. So every thought I looked at, every feeling I looked at, everything I ate, how I digested, how I chewed my food, how much time I spent doing things. I go, I have to slow this down to heal. And I healed myself in six weeks. This is so fascinating. And for the audience that may not be familiar, although they probably are because I talk about this all the time, neuro-linguistic programming is, you know, if you ask different people, they'll say it means different things, but essentially you can reprogram your map of the world and how your brain functions. You could change the patterns and the signals going to it. And Mike rebuilt himself utilizing this. And I think that's so fascinating, Mike. It's the greatest, it's the greatest misunderstood uh, tool because people feel it's a hack, but it's not. It's the greatest thing that you can do by understanding, like you said, your maps of reality and information in and information out. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And I think you're a brilliant buddy. And in case you, uh, the audience can't see, I have a smile on my face speaking to Mike here today from ear to ear, <laughs> like a silly grin. I just love you, buddy. I love you, man. So I said we're awesome. going to jump around. Let's now go back to the beginning. So you grew up in Australia, correct? It is correct. Okay, like humble beginnings. 
Yeah, Perth, Western Australia, which is the most isolated capital city in the world. Um, actually, I think, yeah, actually, Heath Ledger was born in Perth. He was actually born in a suburb, like a city. He was born in Applecross. I was born in a place called Adderdale. Never met him. Um, but, yeah, that, I mean, that's the only guy to come out of Perth and then very few people. It's like it's a very small town on the West Coast, very easy living. And I got out. I got out young and I wanted to, like, see the world. My goal was always to come to America. Yeah. And I know that you said somewhere that you didn't necessarily have a mentor, but you had books and stuff of that nature that you can kind of utilize as silent mentors. Yeah. I use them. I call them indirect mentors. Love that. Where, yeah. So you're a direct mentor. People come to Craig for the experience. They come to me. Indirect mentor is looking at someone else, an NLP thing that I didn't even know, which was modeling someone's behavior. And I didn't know I was actually doing NLP back then as a kid. So what yeah. I would do is I would look at someone and this is, this is what I would do. So if I wanted to study Muay Thai, right, Thai boxing, I would yeah. go to the gym and just say, who's the best fighter or who's the best trainer? As, as green as I was, they're like, that guy. I said, great. So I'd go to him and he'd say, and I'd go, I want to be good at Muay Thai. Okay. You know you're going to get your ass kicked for the first couple of years. So I would just <laughs> get my ass kicked by the best guy. But then what happens is I would get immersed in it, which was another NLP, and I would model better people. And then within six months, people are like, how is he doing it that good? It's because I would go to the best guy and take all the ingredients. So if you go to Gordon Ramsay, who's one of the top, or Jamie Oliver, why not go to them and figure out how they're cooking? Because it's all the same food, right, in the sense of it's all the same ingredients, how they mix the ingredients to make the cake. So to me, I didn't even know I was doing NLP unconsciously. I was just modeling people and then using indirect mentors to give myself inspiration. Yeah, that's so special. And a big thing that I teach to my clients is modeling. I'm a big advocate in modeling. I've been doing it for years. And I think also like you, I was doing it at an earlier age and just didn't realize that it was NLP or the modeling, but it's so powerful. And essentially you can take the process at which like – Take a genius, for example. It's not what they created. It's what was the thought process to get to what they created. And that's what makes exactly. them a genius. And that's so special. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you nailed it. I read a book on uh, an NLP book on modeling on Einstein. And they took his perspective and just it was just it was all perspective. Yeah. It's the way he stepped back. Like I always say to people this, right? So if, if you're in a situation and you're stuck, and you're lacking inspiration. I'm like, you're not lacking inspiration. You're not gathering enough information. They're like, what do you mean? I said, simple. Identify what you want and why you want it. You can't, you want to hit a target, right? You can't hit a target, you don't see. Secondly, gather. So if I want to write a book about, say, childhood, then I'm going to gather all the information or fitness, gather all the information. Third part, incubate. Sit on it. Incubate. Now, yeah, some people incubate differently. For me, it's running 10 miles. Now, the fourth part is inspiration. From the incubation, you're going to get inspired. Then what happens? You take action. So you never get, and I'll tell you a trick. So I wrote my new book off my phone and iPad. And I'll tell you how I did it. I can't get inspired sitting in front of a computer. So I read or watch podcasts. I then go for a 10-mile run. Halfway through the run, I get inspired. I grab my phone. I start writing in my notes. I download a Word document in my phone. I transfer the notes into a Word document. I send that to myself in an email on Word. I keep running. I get home. I open up my iPad. The Word document's there, right? After the email, I put it back into a Word document on my iPad, and I finish up my stuff. Send it off to my editor. I love this. And Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And I can time, money, time, money, resources. How are you spending your time? If I bring you value, you'll pay me for the service. That's money. Resources, be resourceful. <laughs> be resourceful. I love that. And it's so relatable I, to what you're saying because I get some of my best ideas on my runs. And once I realized that I was going all in with CLS when the pandemic hit, and you and I will both agree and we'll touch upon this in a bit that it's the best thing that could have happened to both of us. But once I realized that, literally the next day on a run, 
I came up with Cultivate Lasting Symphony, a play on my initial CLS, pulled over, wrote it down, bought the domain on the spot, and then finished my run. So, I mean, <laughs> you and I couldn't be more aligned. I love that. Because, because what people don't understand is if you're stuck, if you want to think outside the box, you got to get out of the box. What's the box? The house. What's the box? The car. What's the box? The phone, the computer. Get outdoors. And once you start moving, you get that dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, the natural dose, which then opens up the right side of your brain. Because you're, if you're in the left side, right, you're analytical. You can't be creative and analytical. You've got to be creative, then go back to analyze, right? So the trick is, is if you start moving and get into flow, and it's been written about forever, great, anyone that's great gets into flow. You can't get into flow just sitting on the couch. Movement creates flow. This is so powerful and so valuable to the audience. Anybody can apply these tangible techniques immediately. And so many people come to me in the beginning and they're like, how do I identify my passion, Craig? I don't know what my passion is. How do I identify it? Well, you just heard from Mike. You can utilize being in motion, get out of the house, not only think outside the box, but physically get out there and move around. And that initiates some dopamine, which basically like the good drug that we want to be addicted to. And that'll facilitate something like genius. Yeah. And here's a brilliant thing that you just said. So what I tell people is get away from passion and go for purpose. Okay. Love that. Purpose, purpose is, is, is the, the glue that sticks everything together, right? Because purpose is about you. How can I serve you? Not me. Passion is about feeling. But if you follow the process of gathering with a purpose, right? Then you'll incubate, you'll be inspired. The inspiration gives you the passion to keep continuing. But if you go out and you play basketball because you're passionate about it and all it is about the game and you stop playing the game, what happens? You have a thing called destination disease. You know what destination is disease is called? It's you arrive at the destination and you feel dissatisfied because you don't have purpose. I love that. So there's two ways to get destinations disease. You reach a goal. You think you predict you're going to feel a certain way when you reach it, but you never feel the way because you don't know the feeling till you get there. So what happens? You're dissatisfied. Oh, that sucked. Or I didn't, I made a million dollars and I don't feel right. Right. Or I got the girl that I thought was going to make me feel better. Right. Cause if it's from the external, it doesn't help the internal it has to come from in destination disease is another way like this. You get a PhD, you graduate college and you stop learning. You think you arrive. You get pulled into the NFL. Great. That doesn't mean shit. Are you going to be Tom Brady? Are you going to, he's never had destination disease. He came off the bench and won seven Super Bowls. (laughs) That's not destination disease. The destination disease is the guy that's a first round pick and doesn't do shit. That's right. Because he thinks he's arrived. You never arrive. It's work that has no end. I love that. That's fantastic. You know what I mean? It's just continuous. You just keep working and keep improving and keep like you. You go, oh, my God, pandemic. You start a run, CLS, bang, podcast, Melsa, Mike, these guys. That's because you don't have destination disease because you're always moving. You're always trying to find the next thing. And it's not a bad thing to always have forward motivation. And let me just be clear. The reason why this is really resonating with me right now specifically because for the first time in my life, I feel exactly like you just described. However, in the past, some of the things that you described before, like when you hit a certain amount of money or you have a certain girl or you know, even the first marathon I ran, I always expected it to feel a little bit differently. But now for the first time, it's just it's, you know, 100 miles an hour, we keep going. I'm so excited. There's no limits. That's it. You nailed it because as you said, like you run them. Think about this. Think about how many people lose 30 or 40 pounds, then gain it back. It's because they they lost the weight. That's like this. Look, you always are going to hit the summit, but there's always going to be a new mountain to climb. So if you climb Mount Everest, you wouldn't stop there. You go, what's the other biggest mountain? You just keep climbing. And that keeps you, that's why you don't get atrophy mentally or physically because you're always moving forward. I spoke to my aunt the other day. She's 85 years old. You know what she said to me? I'm learning the harp now. 
I, I tap dance three or four days a week. I still do art exhibitions and I walk three miles a day. She's 85 and she's the clearest and she's faced more adversity than, any, than anyone, lost two husbands when she was young, never remarried. And you know what she said? My husband's that died was the best thing that, that could have happened. I said, why? She goes, it taught me to be myself. That's special. That's deep, real deep. And little also, Greek lady. Yeah, little Greek. She's and you know, Greek. five years young in her perspective. Oh, she's a savage. And my grandmother lived to savage. 102. My grandmother was 102. You know what she said? She goes, I used to cook for the old people at the church before she died. And I'm thinking when she was 96, I'm like, how old are they? She goes, 80. I go, wait a second, you're 96. She goes, I'm 80 here. <laughs> that's, that's NLP. And let me explain, because sometimes, as you can imagine, because you were here in New York, it could be freezing in the winter. It could be 15 degrees, especially on the water right behind me. So when I go out there, in my head, it's 85 and sunny. And that's just that. And that's it. That's the greatest perspective. When you can just take that and go, I remember when I first moved to New York, that was the best. And you, you get those days where it was freezing, middle of February. <laughs> And then you get a day where it's 30. You're like, oh, it's such a nice day. Heat wave. (laughs) (laughs) At 30 degrees. That's great. I'm just chilling today. You're like, what do you mean? It's 30 degrees. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. Let's go backwards for a second, Mike. Yeah. Did you get into like becoming addicted with the stimulants and stuff like that? And then segueing eventually leaving Australia to head to New York? I was, uh, God, the first time I smoked pop and drank was 12. It's young. It's young. Yeah. I got into it really young. I did acid for the first time at, what, 14, 15. Why? <laughs> was it an outlet for you? I just was bored. I just could do it. I could just get away with it. And it was, it was bad because everyone around me was just as crazy. Yeah. It wasn't like I was around people that, look, you remember, Australia is a socialism country. It's a box. There's a ceiling. Here I am, this guy in this small town that wants to move to America, talking up a big game, and I'm around people that I call these engines and anchors. They're anchors. They try to pull you down. And I didn't have any engines around me, so I had to create indirect mentors and, and try to study people. But I, I was very realistic. Like I looked at like it, it kind of sounds crazy, but I would look like a guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And I'd go, wait a second. He was Austrian. He lifted weights. He moved to America. I mean, they speak English in America. I go, just move over there, get a job and work hard. And I got into acting school. So to me, it was just like, just do it. Wait, so was Arnold one of your indirect mentors? Yeah, for sure. I loved Arnold. Buddy, this is crazy. because he's, he's the greatest. Indirect he's mentor. He's the greatest. What a visionary. He was always playing chess 10 moves ahead. The bodybuilding, yeah. the bodybuilding to get into Hollywood, to then get into real estate, to then get into politics. He was always planning ahead. I can't believe you just said that. That's great. He is the greatest with, uh, with, he doesn't even, I don't think he even understands the law of attraction, but you know, when he said he'd marry a Kennedy run for governor, like it, you know, when you look, it's, I don't think there's many people that have manifested such a, a just incredible. I mean, let's be honest. He could bet he, he could barely speak. He said he went to dialect training. I don't know who his coach was. We love him. He's a guy. California's burning. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? You know, there's another legend who I love, Stallone. Tell I'll tell you what. I love Stallone. I'll tell you what. Why? He, he went to uh, – he was an extra in The Godfather, an extra. And the guy said, you're not Italian enough. He's like, I'm Italian. So he went home and started writing Rocky after he watched the uh, Muhammad Ali-Chuck Wepner fight. Wrote the movie – Try to sell it. They they wanted it. They didn't want him to play. Sold his dog, living in a shitty apartment. You know, finally sold it, played the lead, took the back-end deal, bought his dog back for like $1,500, and he's never stayed inside the box. He's always been, I'm just going to write, I'm just going to try, and I'm just going to show up. Now, let's be honest. He's not going to – actually, Copland was a great movie. He does a lot of the same stuff, but Copland, he gained the weight out of his, you know, comfort zone. I remember. And he goes, yeah, he's not De Niro, but let me tell you something. As an entrepreneur and as a businessman, he's a legend. Legend. He's a legend. Legend. Both of those guys are in my book. Legends. Legends. And also, just to be clear, like for the audience listening, when you model people, you don't have to love every single trait about them. You just have to find things that you do like and then grab those attributes and model them because they obviously work. 
So love that you touch well, on You know, and I think it's, I think you say it the best when, um, if you look at like a boxer, a boxer will get a coach that he, that fits his style. And then he'll watch tape on other boxers that are better than him. And he'll figure out how they're moving, how they're doing it. And he'll totally sit there in the gym and put the repetitions in. And that's another thing that I like to tell people. Talent is a lie. You have an inclination. You might be inclined to do something, but if you don't put in your 10,000 hours of mastery, it don't mean shit. So much wasted talent out there. Yeah, because people think they arrive. You never arrive. Look, Look, here's the thing. Mastery is boring, and I'll tell you why. Once you are unconsciously doing it after a while, the difference between Floyd Mayweather and, say, Mike Tyson's career, where Mike put in the early work and then got complacent, Floyd Mayweather will still go to the gym and throw jabs. Oh, yeah. He doesn't say, yeah, but I've thrown so many jabs. I've been doing this since I was eight. No. He's always sharpening his sword. Always. Never crossed the plane. Exactly. That's mastery. Yeah. And, and another guy that, you know, say what you want about the man, that's fine. But in terms of him beating on his craft, like you just mentioned, second to none. Very strategic and never complains. Always in the gym. Greatest defense ever. You can't hit the guy. Correct. Yep. I couldn't can't hit him. And here's the thing, what people don't understand and, and whoever's listening, doesn't matter where you start from. If you're willing to pay the price, look, success is really easy. Successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Unsuccessful people only work when they feel good and feel right. What happens if you never feel good and what if you never feel right? right? That means you never work. Yeah. So you've got to go inside yourself and just get up and, and have purpose and forward motivation and do the work every day, no matter how you feel. Yeah. And also a guy like you, like you've done the inner work, you know how to elevate your state on maybe days when you're not at an optimal 10. Absolutely. But that's a Wayne and P. Yeah. I know, look, I, I am, I love visual and I love audio. Okay. I'm not a kinesthetic guy first right? I'm visual and audio. So what do I do? I watch something inspiring and I listen to something inspiring. I'm done. I'm ready to go. It takes me two seconds. And if I anchor correctly, I anchor myself correctly. Boom. Yeah. I I only need about three minutes to anchor myself to elevate my mood and go. Likewise. This is, this is great, Mike. This is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, this is what I teach all my clients. Like, this, this is it. You anchor, you model. This is a technology. You utilize it. it and you elevate your state. And then from an elevated state, there's nothing that you can't do. No. And then the thing is what people don't understand is, and this is where they get it wrong. They're expecting, look, there's a, there's a thing called the rule of thirds. Okay. Whenever you start a new project, it's always hard at the start, messy in the middle, but glorious when you finish. People don't get through the hard and the messy. The second part of the rule of thirds is this. When you get good, right, some days, a third of the day, you're going to feel amazing. A third of the day, you're going to feel average. And a third of the time, you're going to feel shit. (laughs) Right? If you're feeling good all the time, it's not good. You know why? That means you're not growing and stretching. You're comfortable. Yeah. So when you're in the crap and the good, just keep working because eventually you're going to feel great. And People can't program themselves to know the process. It's all process, 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 process. I'm very selective and strict when using any types of products, period. However, the CLS experience is all about elevating your state and getting the mind right as it is our biggest asset in life. Something I've incorporated into my life is CBD, specifically sweat CBD. Just like this podcast, Sweat CBD is all about enhancing your state, designed to optimize your physical and mental well-being. I personally love their products, specifically the oil and the gummies. I've tried a few different CBD brands and products, and to me, this is the most natural feeling. I love their products and what the brand stands for. The founder of Sweat CBD is a dear friend of mine, and she's offering the entire audience, all the listeners, CLS family and universe, a special promo code. Enter CLSCBD at sweatcbd.com. Enjoy. I love you all. And just to touch upon that for a second, it's so true. And I was just talking about this with Dave when we did the interview for Entrepreneur yesterday. We grow from our 
failures. We don't grow from the wins, right? Every time you win, how do you really grow? It, you grow when you get knocked down and then you learn you know, what to do a little bit differently and what doesn't work, so to speak, and also how to develop thick skin. And, and those are the times that you grow and that's part of the process. Love yeah. it. You know, it's, you know what's great? Like it's when uh, someone asked me before the Connor-Dustin Connor, Portier fight who would win. And I said, I think Dustin will win this time. The they said, why? And I said, well, I think the six years he's improved. I think Connor is a more talented fighter. And I think Connor sometimes underprepares because he's very, very gifted. And he's got, the, he's got the anaerobic power and he's quick, short bursts. So if he clips you with the left. But I said, I think Dustin is, is such a road dog that I think he'll either leg kick him or do something different. What did he do? He beat him. Now, what I love about Connor is he has the balls to watch the tape again and adjust. So the third one's going to be great because Dustin knows now he caught him and he's going to have to change his strategy. That's a great battle because they're both trying to grow and adjust. That's an amazing fight. And you know, what's so fascinating, Mike, I was the only one that I know as well that predicted that Connor would lose, but I had a different strategy than you. I was using my NLP practices and I saw his interviews leading up to the fight the week of, and I could just tell he wasn't hungry. He wasn't motivated. Like his body language to me, I was like, I don't know this guy. That's not the Connor that I know. Like he didn't look like he cared and like he already beat the guy. He wasn't fighting for a title in his head. Maybe he thought like this wasn't so challenging, whatever the case may be to me, just reading and tuning into his body language. I saw a different guy and that's why I predicted he would lose. Not necessarily, it didn't even matter who he was fighting. In my head, I was just like, this guy doesn't even really want to be here. You have to be driven to accomplish something great. It's so yeah. interesting that we both thought that uh, he would lose. Yeah, and I think uh, when you look at people that there, there can't be any complacency. Right. Like someone said to me the other day, and this is between us, so like, you know, Dave's writing the forward to my new book. I got lines up with some, some huge agents, like CAA, a bunch of agents. And someone said, hey, you know, how does it feel? And I said, what do you mean? It's a process. I got to write 10 books in 10 years. They're like, what do you mean? I go, well, if I want to have a career as an author, that's how it works. Like I've written, this is my second book. They're like, I go, that's how you've got to think. I can't think I've arrived. That's like, as I said, making it to the NFL. I'm going on the bench of published authors up against other bestsellers. Now, will it be a bestseller? Yeah, but that doesn't mean crap if you only write one. You've got to write 10. Yep. It's like, you know, people write one album and have a career, build a legacy, go out and make 10 albums. Do you see what I'm saying? What do you want to leave behind? Build a legacy. And that's how you got to think. But it's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking, I call my, I look, this is the best feeling ever. Dave got, I finished the book, sent it to Dave. Dave said to me, I'll write the forward. He goes, it's definitely a bestseller, but you should send it to this guy, Cliff. And there's no shortcuts. I had a, I had a hookup at CAA. They're the biggest there is. And I got this editor who's edited 600 books. I'd written 63,000 words in six weeks. We had to rewrite the whole book. Check this out. Whole book. Check this out. He was such a, such a strategic, like a forensics. He goes to me. Yeah. He goes to me. I have nine authors. You're the worst. They're bestsellers. Okay. He goes, it's first in the inbox. I said, no problem. I said, does anyone live on the East Coast? He said, why? And I said, that's three hours difference. That means I have to get up really early. I get up at three, but that means I have to get up at one in the morning to get it in the inbox before other people. I was always first in the inbox. I never questioned what he told me to do. And the one thing I learned is never be married to your work. Okay? So I sent, we had 18 chapters. He pulled out six chapters and said, these are other books. We have to rewrite. We have to come up with five new chapters. So essentially I wrote 120,000 words in six months. Yeah. To get the best 63,000. That's crazy and awesome. All into one. And I got up at three in the morning, ran 10 miles a day, got my kid to school. I did all my my parenting stuff. I coached my clients, my addiction clients, never missed a day and showed up every day. 
Love that. Because that's, you know what I'm saying? If I want, if I want a big agent and I want a big publisher, I got to show them that I'm willing to pay the price. Yeah. hundred percent sweat equity. Exactly. That's it. And listen, hard work is undefeated in my personal opinion. And I love that you also got into running a little bit late. Just like- <sighs> Yeah. Love- well, you know what it was? Because I was always a good sprinter. And there was something therapeutic about going up against the miles. Yeah. It's sure. a special thing. It, it, you find yourself in a long run. Yeah. It's just you, the pavement, God. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's you, your higher power, the pavement. And, and, you know, you can't get away with it. Right. You just, you just, you just, it's you. Running's hard, dude. Running and swimming you know running and swimming are hard because it's not like on the bike you can coast i yeah. guess when you you guess you could lay on your back when you're swimming and, and float a little bit but start running those hills oh forget about it and i also just got into running mike and like you i think we both have a little bit of addictive personalities so once i you know i realized that running a mile for me was challenging because i'd always lifted weights and stuff like that i then went through my process and i realized it's really all a mindset and you know yeah. how i articulate is it really tough or is my brain think it is and then i ran four marathons that year and it's it's just so interesting everything that you just said like there's something so beautiful about running besides just running and it's hard to explain it well it's really the process it's just when you get out on the road you can't force it you got to be in flow. You got to let go. You got to trust your, you know, your body, your breathing. I don't run with music on either. I like to hear my, I like to hear myself breathing. I like to feel it. That's confidence. I like that about you. Yeah, you know I mean, I don't even work out with music. I don't like it. I like to stay in the pocket. I like to just feel my body. Yeah. Have you ran and a full think- marathon or just the halves? Yeah, I ran f- fulls as well. Crazy in right? the training. Yeah, that's a whole different level. The longest I've run is thirty miles in one hit. It's a lot, Mike. Yeah, I went to the, I challenged myself. I just went to the track one day and I said, I wonder if I can run 30 miles. And that's how it all started. I just started running. It's crazy. It's just, yeah, it's just, I, I like to put myself in a position where I can't figure it out and then I figure it out. And, and for the audience listening, I, I challenge you for this. Assuming that you're physically able to run, I challenge you to go out there. And when the voice in your head comes that says that you're tired, stiff arm that voice, let it speak. And then when it's done, tell it to beat it and then keep going. And I guarantee you'll surprise yourself on what you're capable of. Yeah. What is it? Dave Goggins says when you think you're tired, you got 40% left. That's it. Do you know what I mean? So it's this just so much, look, there's so much potential that we don't tap into that. I think we leave on the table because we're afraid of the unknown. Yeah. So true. You know what I mean? And we Absolutely. just we we just skim instead of going deeper. Yeah. There's so many nuggets in here. This is crazy. Mike, let me ask you, when you were in New York, you were in the club business, correct? Yeah, that's it. And, and so that's where you ended up rendezvousing with my brother, Mark, which is the most <laughs> ironic and coolest thing ever. So when did you decide? And I can imagine being in that world, you know, it's easy to be involved with, you know, drugs, alcohol. Drugs, sex, yeah. Right? Because it, yeah. it's, it's part of the lifestyle. So my question for you is, what made you want to get sober and make that decision that, you know, I want to kind of put that behind me? It was a spiritual thing. I, success-wise, you know, I owned a bar with the guys from with, uh, Scott Weiland, who's now passed from Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver and Duff. And I was shooting a VH1 show. I was involved in the Miami Ink show. I helped um, Army get on the show. I was getting tattooed on it. So, like, on a superficial, like, on the outside, it looked really good. But I was just miserable. And Scott was – I was doing way too many drugs and drinking way too much and getting way too many fights. And Scott's wife was leaving. I've actually still become friends with Scott's ex-wife. And I just – he had two kids, and I just looked at him and went, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to get sober and see what it feels like. And I didn't pressure myself to stay sober forever. I just, I just wonder what it's like to just get sober because I'd been sober on and off for years. I got sober the first time at 19 back and forth. And then I just was like, I feel so much better. I still, I still had the same routine, which was get up early, do all the work, but I just like, I feel clear and clean. 
I'm not going back. Was it and safe to say, I, Mike, at that time you were spiritually bankrupt? Oh, 100%. I love there was nothing. Yeah, nothing in the uh, – the, the spirit was completely shot. I mean, the amount of sex, drugs I was taking, the, what I was getting involved in, seriously, like when people talk about, you know, it's like boogie nights. It was just like insane. Every I had a friend of mine stay with me, and it was a Monday night, and there was bands in town, and we had all the rock stars play at the place, and we partied so hard on a Monday. And he looked at me, he goes, dude, if it's Monday, I don't want to see Saturday. I said, every night is Monday night, a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> we just partied every night. We, it was just, it was that what you did and it was so messed up because the next day you just did it again. Like it was normal. And That's crazy. Me, yeah. For the audience, <laughs> the Manhattan club scene is no joke. And back then where there was no social media, it wasn't gentrified like it is now. Like it was crazy. Yeah. People were out of their minds. Late nineties in New York, in Manhattan partying to 2005 and six. Before there was Facebook, there was MySpace and that. But, dude, people were goddamn crazy. They didn't care. I believe it. That's dangerous. Bad for your soul. So, you know, 15 years later, I, I became an interventionist, what, 10 years ago? Started work just doing interventions, sober coaching. And I, I, I literally, I did this. I modeled the best guy. There was a guy called Warren Boyd, and he was the most hardcore guy there was, and he would go anywhere at any time. So I called a guy that got me sober who was a famous sober coach, and I said, I want to be the next Warren Boyd. And he said, okay. And they just, I just went out and would pull people out of crack houses, live with celebrities, travel with people, and went hardcore. What do you mean that guy got you sober, Mike? What does that mean? He took me to my first meeting, uh, sat me down. He explained, when I say meeting, AA meeting, he explained the principles of AA because I went through the AA system. I didn't go to a rehab. And I then just went, okay, so this is, I've got to just follow your lead. And then I used him as a sponsor. So I would check in with him whenever I felt off the rails. And I've still got the same sponsor after 15 years. He's 30 years sober. So essentially and, having a sponsor is like having an accountability. Yeah, accountability to mentor. And you want someone that has a lot of time and you want someone that walks the talk. You don't want someone that just gives you tasks. You want someone that you can, look, I look at it like this. A boss is a travel agent. They'll tell you where to go. A leader is a tour guide. They'll take you there. Love that. They'll take you on the journey, right? So you want someone that can take you on the journey. So you look at someone, you look at their daily rituals, you look at how they live, how they walk the talk, and you go like, I want what that guy has. And then what you do is you shut your mouth and pay the price. Yeah. Because if the guy's got 15 years and you've got 15 days, you don't know shit. That's it. And I can pretty much guarantee that you're the best in the world at this. For the audience listening, can they work with you in regards to this? How does that work? Yeah, they just have to email me. They'll find me if they go onto my uh, social media, I check my DMs all day. And it's, you know, the Mike underscore diamond. And if they DM me, I'll always respond to people. But then if they want to work with me, I drop the hammer. I'm like, this is what, if you want what I have, Here's the thing. I get up at four in the morning every day, sometimes 3.30. I meditate. I stretch. I read. I do inventory. I lift weights. I do cardio. And someone's asked me, said to my wife the other day, does Mike have a crazy job? Does he drive somewhere? Why does he get up so early? She goes, he does him because that's what he, that's his daily rituals. She doesn't get up that early. She gets up at like seven, but that's what I need to do to get an edge. Understood. I love that word, I mean? an edge, by the way. I always want an edge. I mm-hmm. always want an edge, and I always want to be ready to go. Preparation mm-hmm. meets opportunity is luck. And the, the similarities that we have is just it's nuts to me in the best way possible because I wake up super early, and people have asked me before, like, why do you wake up that early? And I always respond with, so I can cultivate that edge. And, yep, and, someone might, and, and I've been asked, like, what do you mean? Like, what's an edge? To me, and I'd love to hear your answer, it's a psychological advantage. That's 100% it. It is. It just gives me that thing knowing that that person's sleeping while I'm up grinding. Oof. Love that. Right? That means I'm already got a head start on you. Yeah. And I'm warmed up and ready to go while you're getting up. You can't catch me at that point. Yeah. When did you leave you know, New York, Mike? 2009. I was in New York from 98 to 2009. Then I moved to LA and Vegas. Gotcha. Another thing that you said that really stuck with me is 
everyone focuses on post-traumatic stress. What about post-traumatic growth? Yeah, so I think under the appropriate stress, you grow. So if you want your biceps to grow, you got to stress them. If you want to build your cardio, you got to run and you got to stress your body. So what happens is when people face some kind of trauma, they face on why it's happening instead of saying, how can I grow? Because we're all going to face adversity and trauma. So you step back from the adversity and the trauma and you go, there's a lesson in this. And it's really po- positive psychology. There is a lesson to learn in anything that goes wrong. And it's all perspective-based. Yeah. I love that. And another thing that you said, and again, preparation breeds confidence. I love everything that you say, Mike, but have amnesia from yesterday's bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. It's like I always say to people, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? And they tell me, and I go, okay, then I want for the next week you to play it all day. They're like, that's dumb. I'm like, ah, so what is yesterday? It's a memory of the past. It's a movie, right? So why would you play the same resentments, the same anger, the same trauma, the same bullshit? When it's not going to get you anywhere, it's not going to give you a clear focused future by taking yesterday's crap into now. Drop that shit, get amnesia, sit in the moment, focus on what you want because what you want expands and then do the work and day by day, keep resetting. Yeah. And one of the things, because we talked about Tom Brady earlier, one of the things that people say is great about him is that he's a short memory. And what that means is if he throws an interception, the next drive, he's not thinking about that. He doesn't care. That's in the past. All he's focused on is what he could do right now. And he can't think of That's brilliant because he's just, look, here's the greatest thing about him. He knew he was going to get in the game eventually, and he knew he was that good. Everyone else's opinion of him was completely incorrect. What, he was 199th pick or some crap? And he just yep. like, yeah, okay, let me win seven Super Bowls. <laughs> right? Incredible. No one would have predicted that. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And I know you said also, Mike, about fire and wire, right? About how people repeat like the same that you're smiling because you know how much preparation I do. I think That's amazing. I want this to be the greatest podcast the world's ever heard in terms of value. So why do people repeat the same negative or unproductive patterns over and over and then they can't get out of their own way? Why do people do this? I think because people don't want to take responsibility. And I think if you take responsibility for who you are and what you are, and you realize that everyone's looking for a win. You can't look for, look, look, look at this, Jeff Bezos, right? Let's look at Jeff Bezos. Be honest with you. Jeff Bezos started Amazon with nothing, selling books. Yep. He knew what he was going to do and kept doubling down because he didn't fire and wire the crap that everyone was telling him. He had forward motivation and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a trillionaire one day. Yeah, right. I'm going to make a trillion dollars. Yeah, right. You sell books. You watch. It's going to go online eventually. If you really think about that, no one really gave him any faith. He lost so much money for years. But that's a guy that's not taking the negative and replaying it over and over and over and over again. Because you can't, look, you can't take crap from the past that has no value for who you are in, in, in this present moment and expect to have a great future. It's predictable. I feel like crap. I'm going to take the resentments from the past and bring it here. Everything I look at now is tainted, right? And then I want to expect to feel good. That makes no sense. That's like eating McDonald's every day and sitting on the couch and saying, well, I want to have a six-pack buy like that guy. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, he's lucky. No, he's starving himself and he's ripped like that because he knows calories in and calories out. Yep. So true. And yesterday I was hosting my mastermind and one of my clients in there, you know, she's putting out some great content on Instagram and she's getting a little frustrated. And meanwhile, everyone compliments her and tells her that she's doing a great job. And she's like, I'm going to delete my account. I don't know why I'm doing this. I was like, you need to change your perspective right now. Everybody says that your content is so original and they love it. Keep building your brand. Someone's going to notice. And in 2021, it's very valuable for a business to have someone that runs a social media. A day later today, she texts me and she goes, guess what? I was in the supermarket. Someone said they saw my reels on Instagram and asked if I can manage their social media for the company. The point is, is like, you have to change. If, if you're going through life, like with a negative attitude or every day you wake up, you have a choice to be happy or to be not happy. There's literally no benefits to walking around with a negative mindset. It does nothing for you. 
But if you change your perspective and you're optimistic, then the universe starts to open up for you. And then the laws of attraction, stuff of that nature can have an opportunity to work in your favor. But if you're, if you're getting the same result and you have a bad attitude, change it. Absolutely. And you know, you nailed it. Uh, if someone, look, someone, that, that girl needs to go look at Gary V, who posted when he was doing the wine, the wine show he had, he had a thousand videos out before anyone cared about him. Yep. You got to play the long game. That means that person has no purpose because you're looking for an effect and a feeling, and that doesn't exist. You've got to be of service. I'm all so about I don't care. Game. Yeah, play the long game. That's like when I started doing interventions, people say, I want to do what you do. I said, do you want to go to a crack house and spend three nights with someone on the floor detoxing? They said, yeah, but don't you hang out with celebrities? I said, no, I don't hang out with celebrities. I get them at their worst and then someone else gets them at their best. But if I don't pick them up at their worst, guess what? That other person doesn't get them at the best. I don't post on social media the clients I have. It's an anonymous thing. But they know who I am, and guess what? I'm the one that gets the test measures in the morning and the thank you cards because I don't sit there and have to post on Instagram, I'm hanging out with this person or I'm doing this. Do you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. do the work in the dark and you won't get exposed in the bright lights. Ooh, love that. That's great, Mike. <laughs> in regards to the pandemic, you know, yeah. a, lot, a lot of people – lick their wounds and watch a lot of Netflix and, you know, a lot of day drinking and so forth. You and I, however, made some serious moves. What was your thought process in the beginning, especially when you had a ton of speaking engagements that got canceled? What was your thought process at that moment to pivot and, you know, make some stuff happen? You know, it's really weird. I always go back to process. So when it hit, I took a breath and I said, all right, I'm just going to, I sleep really good. And I'll tell you why. Always sleep like a baby. Because I go, this is a chance for me to reset. So it doesn't matter how bad my day is, whether I'm facing a lawsuit or something's happened, I know if I recharge correctly, I'm going to feel incredible in the morning. So I got up fresh. I go back to my meditations. I go back to everything. And I sat down. I always go back to process. And I started writing. And as soon as I started writing, a new book was coming. I said, great. So the first thing I did and... I text Dave because Dave, I'd done his podcast and he wanted to go on a speaking tour with me. And I said, I think I've got a great idea. And he said, what is it? I said, there should be a dose from David and Diamond. He goes, like a dose of positivity. I said, yeah. The next day I pitched him that. The next day someone came in with a supplement and it said dose on it. And he said, let's do it. And we went on office hours together and now office hours is eventually going to go on to Bloomberg. And that's how I did it. And I just, I just kept cultivating that stuff, going out, being positive, doing, and and I did so many Zoom talks, wrote the new book, and I just didn't stop. I was doing my coaching, my interventions on Zoom sometimes. I had to readjust my structure. I lost a lot of money because of the speak. I had 200 speaking gigs booked. Yeah. And, but I didn't worry about it. I just kept, kept moving forward. And you improvised. I love that. I wanted to ask you, how did, how did you meet Dave? Uh, Through the podcast. Um, My publicist at the time, I don't have her now, but we're still friends. She um, sent something to Dave and Dave was like, yeah, because my new book was doing really well, my first book. Yeah. And he's like, I'd have to have him on the show, bring him on the show. So as soon as we met, we connected like really good and we had a lot of mutual friends. So like so many mutual friends from from years ago. So it was just like a walk and now we're just really close friends. And also for the audience listening, should you check out Office Hours? The answer is absolutely. And I was just on it about a week or two ago and I posted it and I had so much. I'm actually, actually going to get up in a sec because we're jumping on Office Hours soon. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. We'll, we'll wrap it up with a couple of last questions and I'll let you go, Mike. But yeah, you got Office it. Hours is great. Your audience should definitely check it out. couple last questions, Mikey. Who are some of your mentors? Who are some people that you sharpen the ax to? Who are people that get you inspired? That's a really good question. Um, I, I, I'm an old school guy. I look at um, Marcus Aurelius. He is one of the greats to me. Uh, stoicism Gladiator. to me. Yeah, and stoicism to me is a very special thing. I, an indirect mentor that I love is Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. How the guy founded positive psychology and logotherapy in Auschwitz. It checks me every day because if I'm having a rough day in Southern California, I'm like, what would Victor Frankl say to me? He'd probably slap me up the side of the head. 
and say, <laughs> say, get it together, dude. I went through three concentration camps and you're chilling in Southern California. And then um, direct, it's really interesting. Uh, I don't really, I have my uh, sober mentor, um, which his name's Danny. Um, he's like a direct mentor. And the rest of it is just indirect books and everything. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a, I love TR, love Tony Robbins. I love Jim Rohn. Um, I love Joe Dispenza. Uh, I love Ryan Holiday, Tim Ferriss. Like I, 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 I read everything. I read a book a week. I gather it all. I love Do you know that. what I mean? And, and I don't, I don't uh, prejudge anything I read. Um, I love Deepak. I love Wayne Dyer. Like I read it all. I, I mean, I just study it all. And then I figure out what, what I can take out of that and put it into my own practice. Which actually you know I mean? can you model? Yeah. And, 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 and in my way of doing it, like I'm, a, I'm not them, they're not me, but look, we're all gathering from somewhere. Yep. So it's, if we get enough in, then we can figure out who our audience is and how we want to inspire, educate and motivate them. I love you so much, buddy. Mike, this is the biggest question I've been getting lately, and I want to hear your perspective. Simply put, how do you avoid a burnout? Oh, that's really good. All right, so what I do is that's great. So I do this thing. Um, so I make sure I eat the same meals. I, eat, I, I Now I do a 12 and 12. I used to do 16 and 8, so I need a little bit more calories now. So I do every two hours I'm eating – but before I eat, I do three minutes of mindfulness. So that's 18 minutes while I'm eating. Now, if I'm doing that correctly, I'm digesting the food properly while I'm chewing and being mindful. Therefore, it's actually replenishing my body. I get my morning meditation. I get my morning cardio in and my morning weight training. I don't train to hurt. I train to heal. Ooh. Okay. Nothing I do hurts me. I stretch in the morning 30 minutes. In the afternoon, I do another meditation, 15 minutes, just to reset because I've been up probably for 12 hours. I do this little thing. Before I walk through a door, I stop for a second, breathe, set the intention. Before I get in my car and drive, because I drive around LA, I stop, set the intention. So I'm always resetting during the day, and the compound effects and the ripple effect of me constantly resetting during the day, even though I start at four, I go to bed at nine, I'm always in the moment because I slow myself down and I get out of fight, flight, and freeze. So if I get out of my sympathetic nervous system, because I only need my sympathetic nervous system when I'm in emergency mode. So if someone cuts me off on the freeway and, I, and it shoots up in me, I don't sit in that. I don't chase the person nine blocks and then go to a meeting going, this motherfucker cut me off. I let it go, right? So you got to let it go. So I'm always letting it go, dropping it. If I let it go and drop it, I don't get burnt out. Love that. So deep and so profound. And, and we'll wrap it up with this, Mike. So this is probably a weird question that most hosts would not have the balls to ask you, but I respect you so much. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you. You see what I've been up to. You know, I pivoted from Wall Street to start CLS in the pandemic. I don't have a ton of balance right now. I'm working about 20-hour days, but let me be clear. I am so grateful. There's nothing in the world I'd rather be doing because you know when you start something new and you're excited about it, you roll in. People think it's an overnight success, but they don't see all you know behind the scenes and so forth. But I, I'm doing well, and I say it as humble and respectfully as I can. Look, I'm speaking to great people like you, and and, and that's awesome because you know I have no ego. I want to learn as much as I can. What suggestion or advice could you give me to continue doing what I'm doing to fly and make the CLS the biggest thing the world's ever seen? So we could just revamp more mindsets and help more people. Well, I think most of it's on track, but if you're telling me that you're not getting the balance right, I would suggest that at least 15 to 20 minutes a day, you engage in some box breathing, which was just really invented. Well, the Navy SEALs took it on, and because you're a pretty high-edge guy like me, I think if you get 10 minutes of box breathing in the morning, either before or after your exercise, It'll just help you set the tone and then add in a manifestation meditation in the morning or the evening, uh, especially with a theta brainwave. I'll send you one. 
Thank you. That will help will help uh, trigger your subconscious mind and also the reticular activating system of your brain. Okay, good. And also a little of this can't hurt either, right? Mind focus fuel. Look at that. <laughs> hey, and it tastes good and it gives you energy, right? And focus. Tell the audience what I'm holding right now, Mike. That is my supplement called Mind Focus, focus Fuel. You can go to diamondlifefuel.com and you can order some and boom. Buckle up because this guy takes it as well. <laughs> I love you so much, buddy. Where can the audience love find you. you, Mike? Where do you hang out the most? Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. So it's the T-H-E Mike underscore diamond. And then it's right there. And you have to say it like this. Diamond. Diamond. That's it. <laughs> Mike, yeah, I want to say yeah. you don't shy away from your struggles as they've shaped you. And that's something I find very relatable and liberating. I want you to know that you are the definition of perseverance, grit, heart from your addiction turned sobriety and studying the mind to develop what I think is one of the most brilliant and bulletproof mindsets on the planet. You're helping others throughout their journey and recovery and leading them with integrity and humility. You're a role model to me, to anyone coming up today. I could personally guarantee your best is yet to come. You're someone I admire and I appreciate and respect very much. And I can absolutely promise you this. This is just the beginning of our special relationship. And I can't wait to continue and to watch you fly. Yeah, I love you, man. That was amazing. You're amazing. Thank you so much, Mike. I love you too, buddy. Have a great rest of the day. And we'll chat soon. Love you, brother. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow me on Instagram at Craig Siegel underscore CLS, the YouTube channel Craig Siegel, and our website CultivateLastingSymphony.com where you could sign up for our email blast with all free trainings on all of our content. The best is yet to come.